Well, I'm practicing Brene Brown's vulnerability. Who's Brene Brown? Oh, my gosh. She's, like, incredible. She's a speaker on shame research. And her, yes, she's really, really, really good. Really good. But her first uh, TED Talk ended up being on vulnerability. Okay. And so I've been practicing vulnerability today. How do you practice vulnerability? Be vulnerable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, maybe it's just accept. Accept. Accept the vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. So let's do this. It's not. It's okay, but not yet. Not yet. I'm just adjusting volumes. No. (laughs) You're going to be really, really pissed off at me. I know, because you're recording. Because I, I like, know what that screen says, and I see my voice going louder and softer. So, okay, now stop. So, Indiana, what took you to Indiana? My job took me to Indiana. My career took me to Indiana. And Being a second-grade teacher took you to Indiana? No, I was in management with a Fortune 50 company, Lowe's Home Improvement Center. And I transferred my job to Indiana, and met my husband that year. So that's I'm there. (laughs) So I'm there. What part of Indiana? Northern Indiana. What's the city? South Bend. Goshen is where I live. That's what I was thinking. I had some friends. I have some friends that are either I know they're from Goshen. Smalley, Travis Smalley, went to college with Travis and his wife. And I think they went back to Goshen, Indiana. Huh. It's a small world. It is. I don't know Smalley's, but I'm sure he's there. Yeah, I don't know if he's there still or not, but uh, it is a small world. And um, I enjoy it. It's like last night I went down to this bar Yeah. called the Bus Bar. They had Hula Hoop Girls and uh, River Rats, and this uh, jam band playing, and had PBR, and so I'm like, I'm getting my Northwest back on. There you go. And so I was enjoying that, and this guy had this epic mustache, right, this handlebar mustache. So I got to talk to him. There's like three or four guys, and we all end up talking to each other. And come to find out, we know some of the same people. and it's just so weird. This is so weird. But I it like is it. Weird. My small world story is um, when I lived in New Orleans and as a teenager, uh, my dad had a, he's a minister of music, he had a church in Bogalusa, Louisiana. Uh-huh. And so on Sunday, on the weekends and on set Wednesdays, we would drive up to Bogalusa from New Orleans and drive back. And in Bogalusa, about in the neighborhood where we lived, there was this family who fought chickens. Yeah. They were chicken fighters. <laughs> Scared me to death. That's all I knew. So they fought chickens. Didn't know who they were. I'd walk on the other side of the street if I had to go by the house. It was like chicken fighting people, you know, scared. Yeah. <clears throat> so then I move and... Years later, I'm in South Carolina and working, and I go out to the smokers area. I smoked at that time. I'm having a cigarette, and there's this new employee sitting there, and he's like, 
talking about living in Louisiana and so I'm like hey I lived in New in Louisiana I lived in New Orleans and he's where are you from I, he says Bogalusa I was like Bogalusa okay that's a small world <laughs> so I'm this is years later like I knew him as the chicken fighting man when I was like 16 years old 15 years old and here I'm in my 20s and we're talking, and I was like, well, my dad had a church in Bogalusa. We'd, we'd go up to Bogalusa on the weekends. I'm like, what, where do y'all live? Where are you from? He ended up being the chicken fighting man. <laughs> and I just lost it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're the chicken fighting man. I was, like, so afraid of you. You're, like, a really good employee. You really do a great job. I'm so glad I met you. But... It's just a small world. It is. When things like that happen, you're just like. Well, it was like when I um, met Sarah. Mm-hmm. And then I found out you're tied to her. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? Yeah, so we get a good laugh about that, too. Because my relationship with Sarah is my stepmom is her ex-aunt. Right. And so... I remember we, that story now. Yeah. So we um, bonded instantly. It was a really, really instant connection when we met. And then I got involved with her mission for pregnancy loss, um, miscarriages, infant death. So it was. I didn't read the book. You have not read the book. Nope. Loved baby book. No, I've gifted it. Yes, it's a great gift. Well, I'm not Women gonna... appreciate it. It's it's um, for me. I'm hesitant to gift it because I may not know where she's at. Right. Uh, this one, I offered to gift it to this one lady who experienced it and never heard anything back from her. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'm not... It being a miscarriage. Yes, mm-hmm. she had experienced a miscarriage. Uh, uh, another <clears throat> lady who uh, was part of my wife's ex-wife's family. I hate saying ex-wife. There's got to be a better word. Yeah. I, I want something that more honors her, and I feel that doesn't. So um, it was her cousin had experienced it, and she was a miscarriage. A, a miscarriage. <laughs> Yeah. You're going to make me say that. I am going to make you say it. <laughs> a miscarriage. Because that's breaking the barrier and the stigma of having a miscarriage. So I gifted it to her and actually bought it from Sarah in Inglewood, where you got lost. <laughs> and uh, Sarah and uh, Sarah signed it, and uh, I sent it to her. And she uh, messaged me. She said, this is probably the most... But I asked her first. Mm-hmm. I, I asked her first, and she said, what? There's a book? Mm-hmm. about women experiencing miscarriage and there's a book about women's stories mm-hmm. and I sent it to her she said I I wouldn't even known to have looked right for this genre of books and uh, so yeah and so uh, she loved it and loved it very much and then uh, I I flipped through it I'll tell you uh, you may have heard the podcast with Sarah but I flipped through it for those of you guys don't know, uh, Sarah, Dr. Sarah Philpott wrote a book called Loved Baby. Uh, and it's about pregnancy, loss, miscarriage, like you said, infant death. <clears throat> it's a 31-day devotional. Yes. 
and uh, I opened it up, and the page I started reading, the scene is she's in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. She describes a cold white porcelain, mm -hmm. and she starts going through this process of what she's experiencing, and I'm like, oh, hell no. Mm -hmm. I shut the book. It was too raw for me. It's very raw. It's very raw. Um, and it's taken me a while to, and I don't even know if I can fully articulate it now, my wife had a miscarriage on Christmas Day with our third mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. um, even though we're no longer married, um, and it's been almost seven years, every Christmas we'll end up texting each other. Mm -hmm. But not about that. Right. But it's about that. Exactly. And um, so she had it. A miscarriage. <laughs> God, I love you. She had a miscarriage. Uh -huh. uh, we were, we'd, it was Christmas Day. Uh, we're leaving Vancouver, Washington, traveling back to the Yakima Valley because we lived in Granger. I was passing a church there. We stopped at uh, Sherry's to have lunch. And she excused herself, went to the restroom, then came back. And just the look on her face, I knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. She said, I believe I'm having a miscarriage. I'm like, well, what, what do we do? She said, well, let's just go home mm -hmm. for now. So, and it was a two and a half hour drive and it's a long two and a half hour drive. Mm -hmm. And um, I, um, so when I was reading that book, I'm putting myself, I wasn't in there. You know, her most vulnerable, her most horrifying, I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's why I quit reading the book. It was too raw for me. And uh, it's one of the things I try to explain to people is I will never know what it is to grow a child inside of me. Mm -hmm. I will never know what it is to love a child like a mother mm -hmm. loves a child. I mean, there's a different connection. Am I saying that moms love their kids more strongly than a father no it's a different mm -hmm. it's a different it's a different love yeah and i guess that's why going through the, that thought process and then thinking about some of the things i think about as far as the feminine side of the divine i get a deeper appreciation mm -hmm. that's beautiful yeah it's it, it is a different um perspective on life when a mother has a human being growing inside of you. Mm. Um, my my experience with miscarriages, and, I, and my husband and I's story is in the book. Um, I am the Linda in the book. Um, and she shares our story that came from our second miscarriage. We've had three miscarriages. Um, one rainbow baby, which is in the pregnancy loss community, is the baby that's promised to us that we get to raise on earth. So I have one rainbow child. Um, but the story that Sarah used in the book is in regards to our second miscarriage, where you are just in undeniable shock. Um, and I describe just a moment, a day of silence, just um, 
just silence. I couldn't talk. My husband couldn't talk. Uh, we weren't to, went out to the dam to just like watch the water. There was the water wasn't even. It was silent in my mind. There was no sound. Um, just walking in complete shock. But to touch on how this affects women so deeply, um, it was your thought that you will never you will never know the feeling of a human being growing in your body. And when you have had that feeling, which by the way, took me five years to have that feeling. Um, we went through infertility. We went through troubles getting pregnancy, pregnant. Um, so when I did conceive, it was ecstatic. It was like, oh, my goodness, this is really going to happen. This child is going to grow within me. I'm going to have a child. And what I experienced is called a missed miscarriage. So my baby had actually passed at six weeks, two days, but we did not catch it until eight weeks, ten weeks. So <laughs> one of the things that women will experience, and this was my situation, was, oh, my gosh, I have been carrying a dead person in my womb all this time and I felt like a tomb I mm. felt like my body had been a tomb it was repulsive for me to feel that way mm -hmm. and then once um, I was I, my body was not going to reject the baby there I was my body my mind felt like it was completely pregnant had no idea that I had lost this child yeah and so my doctor um, suggested doing a DNC because I was not, my body was not going to reject this baby. Um, so then feeling repulsed and then the removal of this child um, is just emotional impact of every sense of pain you could have. Um, and then in faith, I believed that I was going to have a child. I use the term fervent hope quite often because during that time I lived in fervent hope mm -hmm. that I would have a child. This was... So let's define fervent hope. Fervent hope to me was continuous communication with God. It was com continuous on my knees every day. Can I have a child? Am I good enough to have a child? Will I not be a good mother? Um, will, why, why may I not have a child? Um, all these doubts and fears and insecurities that I could ever fathom having came to my mind, and I fervently gave it up in faith and said, I believe I can have a child. I believe I'm going to have a child. Um, then I got pregnant again and lost that child at 12 weeks. 
um, I believe. My timeline is off, I'm sure, but um, I had been gotten into the second trimester, which is supposed to be your safe zone. If you, if a pregnancy can get through to the second trimester, then most of the time your miscarriage rate risk goes down. So I had hit the second trimester and was so ecstatic and lost that child. Again, it was a missed miscarriage, um, not as long. I had just recently died, but again, my body was not going to pass this child. And so had another DNC. Ouch. I want to talk about, I want to say that I had DNC because there's a lot of faithful women um, who feel the necessity to pass this child naturally. And that's perfectly fine. That is perfectly fine for you to do that if your body is going to do that. Um, but it is also perfectly fine to have a DNC. Thank you. When you, your body is not cooperating with nature. Um, I was actually given a dream that it would be okay for me to have a DNC because I was one of those women who felt I really just need to pass this baby naturally. It's a natural thing. God gave me this gift. I really, really just need to be natural about all of this. And we put a lot on God that he doesn't deserve. deserve. And we don't give him credit for everything else that he does, like giving the doctors the, the ability. ability and the knowledge to right. remove this dead human out right. of my womb. Right. Um, right. So then um, that miscarriage is the one that's talked about in the, in the book. Um, and it was, it was painful. It was complete disbelief, complete shock that I would go through this again. And it was still um, pretty raw um, for, for, for a long time. But the recovery, again, through fervent hope, through continuous communication, through continuous positive reinforcement, um, leaning on promises that I knew my creator had given me. Um, and this was all I, easy. Oh, no. It was not easy. Well, it I was think not easy. People... It was spent in tears. It was spent on the floor in my hallway, curled up in a ball. Right. Like, so I, that's what I didn't want people to take away is you're, when you're saying – uh, living in fervent hope, positive affirmations, continuous belief. It, I didn't want it to come across as, hey, if I just do this, mm -mm. I'll get through it. No. No, you spent time, like you said, on the floor in your hallway, curled up in the fetal position. Yes. Yes. I Angry. spent time on my couch wrapped up in a blanket talking to no one. Right. I, yes, that is fervent hope. Right. It sounds like living hell. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But the hope. And there's the paradox. Is the peace. The hope is the joy. The, th 
the believing that there's something on the other side of this. There is something on the other side. So we get to the other side and we have my my gift, my your mini me. Oh, my mini me, she Olivia. Looks just, I don't know. I, I knew you at seventeen. Yeah. I think that's when we met. You were seventeen. Yes. We should talk about that too, because uh, it's a funny story, at least to me, that I've told before, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> okay. Uh, I didn't. I've never seen pictures of you as a child, but when I see pictures of Olivia, I think. Yeah. That's her as a child. Yeah, it is. You're, you're not denying that one. No, there's no denying it. There's yeah. none. No, no. She's even, uh, she's 50-50. She'll tell you, I'm 50% Lenten, I'm 50% Salisbury. And we'll say, <laughs> yes, you are. But she's very independent. She's very feisty. She's very um, headstrong. Um, all characteristics that she's I She's very redhead. Very <laughs> Stereotypically redhead, thank you. Yes. Those exist for a reason. So. Remember, my mother is a redhead. Okay, yes. So I, so do you remember do you how we met? Think, well, now that you're saying it, no, I don't think I do. I know the I'm night. I'm kind of scared to hear this story. I know the night. I know where we were standing. I know what happened. Okay, tell me. It was homecoming. It was 1986, I believe. Yeah. 1986, it was homecoming night in the student section at the old high school football field. Okay. <laughs> we were standing, everybody was standing together. You were new to McMinn County High School. Somehow or another, I got introduced to you. And um, I didn't have anybody to go to homecoming with, but I already bought my own ticket. Mm-hmm. And you had your own ticket. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, let's meet up there. Yeah. And that began the sky. I do and remember you were, that. And you weren't Linda. You were Michelle. I was Michelle. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And so Only through, I was Linda, but my, I uh, allowed my name to be Michelle through my parents. They had called me Michelle all my life. And then when we moved to New Orleans, I decided I wanted to be Linda. So I started going by Linda at about 13. And then we moved back to this small little Athens town, and it wasn't as easy for me to be Linda when my parents and everybody was calling me Michelle. So, well, I always knew you as Michelle. Yeah, it was Michelle. Yes, it is not Michelle. That's right. (laughs) It was Michelle. That's right. Or it was Linda Michelle. Right. That was the two. So Mm -hmm. that's how we met. So there you go, folks. Yeah. You know, that was thirty. Too long ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was a long time ago. <laughs> Still keep that away, huh? Yeah. But it was a great time to be in high school. To me, I mean, you had the uh, you had uh, the the great movies, the John Hughes films. You had Breakfast Club. You had Pretty in Pink. You, I mean, all those great films and all that great yeah. music. Prince. Yeah. I mean, and I worked at Duwa's Deli. I loved it. <laughs> I had you didn't a different enjoy experience, it? but that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, well, I I enjoyed it. Then we went to Carson Newman. Yeah. What did you study at Carson Newman? I ended up with a home economics degree in business, so business management. Yeah, because you were working, because we were both in theater. Yeah. So that's how we would... Uh, 
knew each other then was in theater. Thank you, Tara. Um, yeah, in theater, I did the um, costumes. costumes for the plays at Carson Newman, which was absolutely fantastic. It was fun to I do that. I loved it. Here, yeah. let me fill this for you. Thanks. Get a little water. Hear that, folks? Mm -hmm. Water. Stay hydrated. Yeah. Stay hydrated. So, yeah, so back to my mini-me, because I have to talk about my mini-me. You're welcome to talk about anything you want. <laughs> your podcast <laughs> no um yeah so then i i do at 40 at 40 years old i have a child um and that's a different that's a different um perspective on life too yeah. to have a child your first and only child um when your peers are having weddings and grandchildren and yeah. all that stuff and um, so anyway, um, we had our baby girl and um, Olivia Alame, and she's beautiful. And um, she means peace, the name. Does it? Yeah. I'm sure it does. I it does. Know. It's derived from the olive. Yes, it is. And the olive is a symbol of peace. Yes. It's and true. it's from the olive that they get the oil that brings light. Yes. So that's perfect for Olivia. Um, but then, so I've, I've said I had three miscarriages. Yeah. Um, I've talked about two, then I have Olivia, so there's a third one. Ouch. And um, this miscarriage, I want to talk about it because I want to share that vulnerability. Um I wasn't living in fervent hope anymore because I had gotten my hope. I had gotten my baby. She's perfect and she's beautiful and she's everything I could have ever asked for, except that she's an only child. Mm. And for about three years, um, we thought, should we have another one? Should we try? Should we not? You know, she's going to be raised an only child. How lonely is that? She's always begging for siblings. She's very social. So she was always wanting, let me have a sister. Let me have a brother. I want a sister. I want a brother. Well, at, when she was four, so I'm 44, I, like, 16 years old, felt like, oh, my goodness, I, I, I got pregnant. How in the world does this happen, you know? And I'm, like, I'm 44 years old. I'm, I'm pregnant and it was again unbelievable like you don't even know understand how these things happen because you're like what I, what <laughs> what <laughs> okay so well, we understand or, <laughs> well not when it's like total surprise <clears throat> um so you have to like get back to reality and okay like, oh. I yeah I'm pregnant um these things happen yeah so I, this pregnancy was so out of the blue. It was so unexpected. Um, oh, wait, no, I have to back up a little bit because it's very important to, to how I interpreted this whole event. Um, Olivia had come to me before I found out I was pregnant and said, Mom, I'm, I'm going to have a baby brother on my birthday. I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, we'll talk about that when you're a little older, but no, I don't really think so. She's like, nope, I'm going to have a baby brother on my birthday. All right, so now fast forward. I'm pregnant. And I'm like, what? How, you know, how does this happen? And then I start calculating. And the due date was the week of her birthday. Oh, wow. So I was like, whoa, what is going on here? This has to be a sign. This has to be God telling me that I'm going to have another baby and we are going to have two children and she's going to have a sibling and she knows that she's going to have a sibling because she told me that she's going to have a sibling. And so complete removal of any secured thought is gone because we know this is going to happen. And very soon um, after I found out, I think two weeks after I found out I was pregnant, we lost that child. Mm. And that is the time that the anger set in. Angry at God for I wasn't even trying to get pregnant. I wasn't, we weren't thinking about this. We didn't expect this to happen. Angry that my daughter, four years old, would have conceived in her mind that she's going to have a baby brother and then allowing me to tell her, well, yeah, you might have a sibling come your birthday. You know, involving her, my four-year-old child, in this type of devastation and this type of crushing was infuriating to me it's cruel it was cruel and I felt that way I have said that so many times I felt like God himself played a huge cruel joke on my life and it was not funny to me I felt that way for months and that's okay. It is very okay. And it's because it's, to me, it's understandable. It's it is so very okay. Um, during this time, I had already met up with Sarah, and I had become an administrator for our Love Baby Facebook page. It's a closed group um, for the lost community. Um, it's huge. Uh, it's worldwide um, and has grown faster since the book has been released but during this time I'm online as an administrator trying to help all these other women heal through their pain wow. and their loss and inside I am furious so did you feel like you're putting on a facade that you're being fake I I don't think that I ever felt fake because I think I have been raw as an administrator, I don't hide, in this area of my life, I don't hide very many feelings or, or parts of that. Um, because I feel like the ministry is to share with each other, share your pains, um, lean on each other, understand that your pain is real. It, it's not so imaginary think what the faith community needs more of <clears throat> is a no bullshit zone 
Exactly. Uh, you know, your story's welcome here. Yes. And yeah. your story, I may not understand. Mm-hmm. I may not, but your story's welcome. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're going to, and my story's welcome. Mm-hmm. And don't bullshit me. All right. Keep it raw. Keep it raw. Keep Open it, it up. Um, and because you can tell when somebody's doing that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes we need to be given the permission within a faith community to say, whoa, mm-hmm. don't bullshit me. Right. I sat down with a mother in April. She'd lost her son and she'd asked me to fly up to do his funeral. They didn't go to church. And this kid grew up in my home. Mm-hmm. I think I told you a little bit about him. I don't I know. I watched that podcast, yeah. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> I was sitting down across the table from her, ironically, at Sherry's. I didn't even put those two together. I'm sitting down across the table from her at Sherry's, and she says, I have a question. And I said, what's your question? She said, is, is Tyler at peace? So I did what you made me do. I want to say it out loud because her question isn't, is Tyler at peace? Mm -hmm. And I said, Kathy, what's your, that's not your question. Mm -hmm. What's your real question? And this is a hard one for a lot of people. And she just, she's about to tear up. She says, is Tyler in heaven? Mm -hmm. And I told her, I said, Kathy, I'm one of the people that believes that when your soul leaves, it goes back to the soul of souls. Yes. He's with the soul of souls. He's with his creator right now. Um, but it's that rawness that I was inviting her to. Mm-hmm. And so I like that you do that in your group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just kind of curious, though. How do, you, how, do you, how do you make that balance? I'm trying to help you heal yeah. when I'm pissed off. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm... I'm the punchline to a very cruel mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Um, well, ironically, in ministering and working with those other women and being raw with them continuously, listening to their stories, listening to their strength and their uh, ways of dealing with things was then in a full circle also helping me find that all at the same time. Um, so that community that we have in a closed Facebook group right. is very open and very healing and extremely needed in order to go on and continue as a, as a female, as a woman, as a mom, as a woman desiring to be a mom, um, as a woman who may never be a mom but still has that desire and being able to embrace that and accept that and know that that is enough. That is your story. Um, that That is in a closed face group, but Facebook group, unfortunately. And do I believe what you just said, that the Christian community, the faith community um, needs to be that raw? Uh, definitely. Right. Definitely. That's what we're here for. We're here to support each and every searching person, um, no matter what their story is. It's their story. 
and that's what they're going to go through. So embrace it. Help them. Be there for each other. And we don't do that. No, I've always wondered. Um, <clears throat> I've done more sometimes ministry sitting at a bar talking to a guy going through a divorce. Amen. You know, and just letting him that. tell his story. I've said that. I've said that. Um, so before I was married, a bar was something I frequent, and I had so many religious conversations of faith right. at a bar that were way more open, way more honest, way more real than I ever had in a church. Well, and it's even like where I work. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine about this. I said, I don't, I'm not the guy that goes out there and says, hey, ask me Bible questions or ask me faith questions. I, said, I, I, I don't do that. Mm-mm. I said, but you wouldn't believe some of the depth of questions I get. I said, why aren't they asking their pastors? Mm-hmm. She says, you come at it differently. Yeah, you, you don't, live it. Yeah, she said, but you don't come with the answer. Mm-mm. You come with the better question. Mm-hmm. You let them you let them wrestle with it. You let them open it up. You let them look at it where their pastors know it's this way. Yeah. And a lot of times they don't, they don't have the freedom to say, okay, what do we do with this issue? Mm-hmm. She said. Or just, it's condemned. Or it's condemned. And there's not, there's not a door there to talk about it because it's already condemned before you walk in. Right. It's already condemned before you walk in. And one of my favorite stories it was a, a guy named Jevin. I'm going to include this in my talk. Oh, by the way, guys, for those of you listening on podcasts, I got invited, I was telling you earlier, I got invited to a pagan ritual to speak on building bridges. So I think I'm going to record that one. But I, I would have never gotten invited to that had I been that other pastor. Right. Or With that closed door. Or that other Christian, mm-hmm. right? And um, I know there's some people in the faith communities like, why would you go do that? <laughs> and me, I'm like, because my story's their story. Their story's my yeah. story. You know, we're all searching. I, when I was ministering, um, I uh, was always bivocational, which meant I had to have a job. I was never a full-time pastor. Mm-hmm. And when you're bivocational, brand new in the ministry, you think, well, I'm not good enough. I'm, try- I'm, try- I'm trying to build my name. I'm trying to build my resume so I can be a full-time pastor. Because everybody wants to be a full-time pastor. But I never did it. And um, I'm thankful. I look back on it now. There was a guy that came into my office one day uh, in my real job. And I just got hired. <clears throat> he comes in. He's our sales manager. He introduces himself. Oh, hey, how you doing? He says, uh... So I heard you're a pastor. I said, yeah, I am. He goes, uh, I'm an atheist. I said, oh, really? I'm an Eagle Scout. <laughs> Reached my hand over. <laughs> he just cocked his head and looked at me and he laughed. He goes, okay, we can get along. All right. All right. T- today his kids are uh, going to Christian camps. His ki- he's very much a guy of faith mm, today. Yeah. And I don't think I was... The answer for him, I think I demystified yeah. the answer for him. Yeah. I, I, I do think that, and he could come to me and talk to me about the raw things, mm-hmm. you know, when he experienced the loss of his grandfather or the birth of his children. And we're great friends to this day. Um, 
I had a pastor actually tell me one time, his full time, we were talking on the phone, we went to school together, and he said, I'm jealous of you. Why are you jealous of me? He said, you have freedoms I don't have. He said, both of our churches could let us go tomorrow, and you've got a home for your family, you've got an income for your family, you've got health insurance for your family. Mine could let me go tomorrow, and I don't. He said, you have the freedom to speak about and to talk about and to bring up the questions that I can't. And I thought, I was blessed. Mm -hmm. I was blessed. Yeah, because that's a huge part of ministry is not having the freedom to express what the creator, the divine God has put on your heart. Right. So living ministry is what I like to do myself. Just live it. This is who I am. This is how I live. I, this I is my pains. rawness. I have, yes, I have sadness. I have darkness. I have everything that anyone else would ever go through. I have that. But I'm living my ministry. It doesn't change my life or my faith. So have you seen women go through what you've gone through and they just totally turn their back on God? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Women in our group. And that's okay. I don't know that I believe. I don't know that I can have faith anymore. So what do you say to them? It's okay. I love that. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And it's understandable, and it's, it's normal. understandable. It's normal. If you had faith before this event, the seed is there, and it only takes a mustard seed. Mm. That's it, a mustard seed. Sometimes you have to look through a microscope to see a mustard seed. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. If you had faith before the tragic event, in this case, they we're talking about miscarriage and pregnancy loss, but in any event... It just takes a mustard seed. Right. And I'm of the belief that the divine's within you. Always. And always has. Always will be. Right. And I can go through this horrible event and be like, nope, I don't want nothing to do with it. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. It, it, and who knows, maybe someday... I'll come back around and be like, you know what? I I see I see how she she and I'm gonna say she because there's that feminine aspect of the holy. I see how she was there through that darkness. Oh yeah. I see how she was there through my pain. I see how she has been comforting me. Even <clears throat> Even my anger and me turning my back, she still was loving me and comforting me. Mm-hmm. Um, Standing in solidarity with you. Yeah. Through your pain and suffering. Did I tell you about allow, Zim Zoom? No. But to allow you to participate in the growth and healing of your life. Right. So the idea of Zim Zoom. Mm-hmm. You're going to love this. The idea of Zimzum, it's a Hebrew word, uh, which most of the words I want to define are Hebrew words. <laughs> uh, I, don't know, I don't speak Hebrew. But uh, 
The idea is that the infinite in creating the finite you can't create the finite within the infinite. Mm. The, 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 it's just, the, you can't do that. So, so what God did was he creates this space, this emptiness in which he can create. And, and it's there that he's present, but he's absent at the same time. I give the idea of trying to teach a kid how to ride a bike and I'm holding on to the handlebars in the back seat and I'm rolling with the kid and I'm slowly letting go, but I'm still there. Mm -hmm. I'm slowly letting go, but I'm still mm -hmm. there. I'm absent, but I'm present. And it's, you're finding that balance. And I love the idea of this Zim Zim too. When you start thinking about the Shekinah, the feminine aspect, think of that as a womb. And there's that line the umbilical cord that comes into the created. Mm -hmm. And the mother's there, but she's not. Mm -hmm. There's that absence in which life is growing and being created. And that's when I think about, when I got to think about this feminine side of God, and I got to think about what it is as a mother, knowing things that I'll never know as a father. And I started understanding that, yeah, I'm going through this pain, and it seems like God has totally abandoned and left me alone. Mm -hmm. It can feel that way. And even though in all this absence, God's totally present. Oh, always. Totally present. And it's when my mom was going through her grief with my dad. She said, I wish you could just take this away this pain mm -hmm. I said mom even if I could I wouldn't mm -hmm. she said you don't understand how horrible this is I said I don't but you have to live with this mm -hmm. you have to experience this and if I could take it away that's me saying I know better than God mm -hmm. I'm taking something away from you that God's saying no there's something on the other side of this mm -hmm. and she was very angry with God I said go cuss him out Oh, yeah. You know? He can take anything you want to give him. And believe me, I, I cussed yeah. at God. Right. Listening to me scream till I was blue in my face. Right. This was not curled up in the ball in my hallway. This was ranting right. through my hallway with fists clenched, with language that I do not use at my creator because it felt so wrong and but so right so right now yeah years later yeah. um and i don't i don't want to skip that part because there's so many times that as humans in tragic situations in death-defying shock where you don't feel the presence of god you no. don't feel the presence of your creator or the comforter or anyone who would be there for you as a divine you don't feel that and you can give up and say i don't feel him i don't know he's there or where you was he when i was being abused where was he when i was being abused where was he in the when holocaust my in the holocaust when my parent died when my child died when i lost my job what where was he right but he was letting you ride the bike. He's letting you ride the bike. He's yeah. letting you 
embrace and participate in your life healing, in your story that is made specifically for you. He is allowing you to participate in that. Right. And there is another side if you choose to go to the other side. You or can you can choose stay. to stay there. And you can waller. And plenty of people do. Oh, yeah. But my hope would be that we choose to go through it and we choose to get to the other side and see that hope. Well, and it's like when Dad died again, there's this uh, Hebrew tradition of sitting Shiva, and it's seven days mm-hmm. of extreme grief. Mm-hmm. You cover the mirrors. Mm-hmm. You don't worry about looking at yourself in the mirror. You don't worry about how you're dressed. You don't worry about what you look like. You don't worry about your hair. You, you, it's seven days mm-hmm. of sitting Shiva. No major decisions. You only leave when necessary. Uh, and there's rules to visiting someone who's sitting Shiva, too. And one of them is you don't speak until they speak to you. <laughs> Which, and, that's lovely. Yeah. And and you, if you're saying anything about their loss, it's typically, I'm sorry. That's all it takes. Right. Because the worst thing that when we went through ours is the stupid stuff, that, our miscarriage, <laughs> before okay. you, <laughs> I thought you were still talking about your dad. So no, the worst thing we went through our miscarriage, that. and this is when I learned this. People say stupid stuff. Yes. I mean, they would say stuff like, "Well, maybe there was something wrong with the baby, and God knew you can handle it." Yeah. And I'm like, "Fuck you." <laughs> All right. This yeah. is what I'm thinking. All right. And then, um, or they're saying, "Oh God," I just just horrible non-theological things everything happens for a reason everything happens for a reason well yeah but not right now today right it doesn't right now today i am hurting i am angry i don't see any logical reason for this so don't throw that in my face don't and um people were saying this to me because she was a stay-at-home mom i was out in the office i'm getting it more than she is Mm. and i'm trying to put myself into their shoes and understand why they're saying these things because what I'm hearing is totally counterintuitive to everything I'm experiencing and feeling. I like to think I was able to go back and prepare my wife mm-hmm. and say, look, they're going to say some stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And somebody was asking me about it. I said, I said, when the creator put laws into motion, certain things have to happen. And it's not that God is causative. I certainly don't believe that God caused my miscarriage because what a lot of these people are saying is like, like God caused it because of. Mm. Sometimes things in the body just don't do what they're supposed to do. You know, we have sickness, we have disease. Things happen in the body. Sometimes people get cancer. It's not that God caused it. You have something that developed in your body or didn't go right and cancer caused. That's the simplest way I can explain our miscarriage is that, Something just didn't happen right. Yeah. And it's not that God caused it. And yes, it's painful for us because this was a a child that we had created and she had experienced living within her. It's painful for us. I had to come to a point where I realized sometimes things just don't work. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason. There's nothing esoterical about it. There's nothing theological that God was watching out for me. There's no, there's nothing like that. God's not there in that action. God's there in that healing to help me. So but I do think that was, uh, I said this to Sarah, and I've said this to uh, 
Becca, I think that was the start of my divorce. It can be, unfortunately. Sarah said it could be too. And yeah. and I handled it completely wrong. I no, mean there's no wrong or right way to handle it. You handled it the way you knew. I would have handled it differently. It. Now, looking back. Now. Yes. I immediately went and got a vasectomy afterwards. Mm-hmm. She's like, I want to have another child. Exactly. You can. <laughs> I I did not want A to go through that again. My children go through that again. And, and and most importantly to watch her go through that again. Yeah. I never wanted to watch her go through that again cuz I did not nobody tells you how to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm the pastor. I didn't I had no idea on how to deal with this. Right. I had no idea and I didn't want to do that again. And she said, so something bad happens, you're just never going to do it again? I said, yeah, if I touch a stove and I get burned, I'm not going to touch the stove again. I mean, there's certain things that you learn in life. I said, this is, I can't do it. Yeah. And I, I, I can't. And that was a life lesson for me. I hate the word regret. Regret. That was a life lesson for me. Life lessons. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I tell this story to men who go through it because nobody... A miscarriage. A miscarriage. Mm-hmm. A I, I tell this story to men who experience miscarriage because there is, as there should be, a lot of focus on the woman and what she's experiencing through the miscarriage. Um, in my case, it was as if, oh, well, he's just the father. I didn't... You didn't have men coming to me and saying, hey, dude, I've been there. Mm-hmm. This is what I went through. This is what I was experiencing. I didn't have men available to me. Chris, women have other women who's gone through it, who empathize, who sympathize. I didn't have that. So every time I'm around a couple that's experienced a miscarriage, I I gravitate toward the guy. Mm-hmm. And I just tell him what I went through. Yeah, my husband does too. He's He, he does. Um, I actually talk pretty vocal about everything which it, I mean there is a difference between the way a man grieves over a miscarriage or an infant death or a pregnancy loss um, there is a difference and we try to we try to say that to our community because women do get upset and women do get angry with their spouse or boyfriend or whoever and they they're not understanding each other's grief we're projecting our grief onto you. On them. Um, you should be grieving like I am. Right, and we don't. No two people grieve the same. There's not a pattern for grief. I, you know, we as a society do not allow grief. Um, it's it's a roller coaster. It's a looped loop. It's a maze. It's uh, a crashing it's, wave. It's grief is unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll give you an example of that. I had, it had been, I had had my own child. I had had Olivia. So that was five years. Um, and she was probably two or three. So five, six, seven years. And I'm involved with the Love Baby Administrator. And I, you know, I'm talking it up and not ashamed and able to, like, talk about things that other people can't women can't talk about and I'm healed and I'm good and I'm sitting at church 
And about two pews in front of me on the right-hand side, there's a baby, a brand-new baby with mm-hmm. their mom, with their dad. And I started bawling. Yeah. Seven years later, yeah. I'm healed. I'm okay. I'm talking about this all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm gung-ho. Mm-hmm. And I broke down that day. I have no idea. That, that baby triggered me. It triggered a grief within me seven years later that I needed to cry out. I needed to get it out of my system. And I did. I cried that whole day. And that was fine. It's okay to do that. It's okay to do that 12, 15, 16, 25 years later. I've buried a couple of children. Mm. And um, each time I'm talking to the family, and one of them said, she said, people tell me that um, time heals. I said, people lie to you. Mm-hmm. She said, well, people tell me it's going to get better. I said, well, people's lying to you again. She said, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. I said, you're going to, it's not that it gets better. You're stepping into a new reality. A new normal. It's a new normal. It's going to be a new normal. It's not going to be an easy path. I said, but here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be at the store one day. You're going to be standing in line to pay for your groceries. And you're going to look down and you're going to see like a bag of M&M's. And you're going to think about how much joy that bag of M&M's brought your son. And you're just going to be a smile on your face. And you're going to be happy and all these great memories. Six months later, you're in that same grocery line. You see that same bag of M&M's. And you're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. I said, and that's going to come and go for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I said, if, if, if I can do anything to help you heal, it's to understand this is coming and this is okay. My reaction's okay. Mm-hmm. Just experience it. Embrace it. Mm-hmm. So the problem that we have, and you were right, in our culture, we don't understand grief. We don't talk about grief. I often tell people, just embrace it. Yes. Just go with it. Yes. Embrace it. Embrace the pain. Embrace that moment. Um, Right. And the more you suppress that moment, the stronger it's going to come up. So it's easier to embrace that moment. Go through it. Go through it. Live through it. Deal with it. There's nothing wrong with you. No. No. Um, So the quicker you do that, the easier life seems to be. But we don't take the time to do that. We don't have the time to do that. Well, we think we're weak. We think we shouldn't be doing this. We think there's something wrong with us that we're experiencing this. Well, like right here, we are. The Hawassi and the Okoye Rivers are down here. And when you go rafting down through there and you fall out, and you will fall out, you know what the first thing they tell you to do? Don't fight the current. Yeah, go with the flow. Just roll and go with it. And it seems counterintuitive. It seems uh, risky, but if you fight the current, you're going to drown. And I use that metaphor with people all the time. When, you, when this happens to you, don't fight it. Mm-hmm. Just embrace that darkness. Embrace that. Roll with it. And roll with it. Because if you fight it, you suppress it, you try to get rid of it, you try to be like, oh, I'm just going to be happy today. i got a positive affirmation on my mirror. Mm-hmm. Which 
those are okay. Yeah. And sometimes they just don't work. Right. <laughs> just go with it. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. What else? Oh, you were featured. Did I get this right? Were you featured on Good Morning America? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you say it like, eh, no big deal. No, I. it was a big deal. Did they come down deal. to the house? No. So what happens? We're talking about the blessing fence. The blessing fence. Yes. I, I was going to move on to that because this has been deep and dark and heavy. and I'm I know, and unexpected. So, like, this was total, total off grid here to, talk, to start off talking about love baby and miscarriages and pregnancy loss. But that's okay because that's what I do. Um, the, I, I want to go to your book. The Art of Teshuva first. Well, it's not my book. Well, but the I'm one not that you've been reading. No, 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 no. Right. So what do you have for me on The Art of Teshuva? Well, I don't have much because I don't want to steal Mama Bridwell's you're, thunder. You're not going to steal and, her thunder. She's you know, funny, though, isn't she? She, is a, she <laughs> so deserves being on your podcast with this book, at She's least. She's so funny. She brings the perspective all together. Because she has the questions that um, the Western organized religion would have. Right. And I love it. I love it. She does. And, and she's welcome to ask them. And she's yes. welcome yes. to call me out. Oh, yes. And she will. And she's welcome to not agree with you. That's just awesome. That's correct. There's no napkins there. Oh, well, this, my book's going to get wet. Here, I'll get you some. Wait a second. Go ahead. Go ahead and start your thing about the book. Okay. So I don't know if you've been following the art of Teshiva. Um, and I say that wrong. I think I put an E in it. It's a U. But um, <clears throat> first of all, yeah. <laughs> first of all, I have to say, especially if there's women out there who want to pick this book up, it is not written for our audience. It is written for the Jewish male. And you think so? You Oh, it's totally written for the Jewish male. Um, but, again, you look into, you look over to the universal thoughts. Right. And it's very powerful. It's extremely powerful. Do you think it's negative toward women? When you say Jewish male? Um, it doesn't talk about women, so okay. I don't, I don't okay. feel offended by it. Okay, that's I what I was wondering. No, 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 no. It doesn't bring up women. Um, so I don't feel offended by it. I'm just saying that if you are going to pick this book up, you need to remove that ex aspect. It was written by a guy at, from the 1900s. Yes. Um, and conservative look at rabbi. The, thanks. Um, yeah, and look at the universal themes of Teshuvah. Which are just beautiful. They are, aren't oh, they? they are just so beautiful. And there are three points that run in my mind all the time after reading this book. Uh -huh. And they've and they've been life changing. Um, the the one is the three parts physical and mental and then you get to religious spiritual and spiritual. Um, so he's, he emphasizes, uh, I, I w I've been raised with the verse, your body is a temple. Mm -hmm. So he emphasizes physical health, mm -hmm. mental health, 
And I, that, I don't know, like all my life I've been taught your body's a temple, your body's a temple, you know, physical health, take care of yourself. You hold the Holy Spirit lives within you. Have you? Oh, yeah. I see. That wasn't my tradition. Well, now the take on that has always been in sexuality. It's been and presented drinking. to me in sexuality. Keep yourself pure. You know, don't put poison in your body, blah, blah, yeah, blah. But the so way that I interpret that through Rabbi Cook right. is take care of yourself. Right. You house the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Give him a clean temple. You know, give him a healthy place to live. Well, and the thing I appreciated in that chapter when he's talking about that is if you're not healthy, you know, um, if you're putting what I call mouth porn down your face all the time mm-hmm. and you're way overweight and you're having to take these medications, mm-hmm. how are you going to get out and play with your kid? Right. How are you going to live life? To how are you going to go do what God wants you to do when you don't feel good to get up? And that's... And I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I said, this is why I won't go to a church with an obese pastor. Oh. <laughs> and they're like, what? I said, I will not attend a church with an obese pastor. Okay. I'm going to agree to disagree with you there. Well, the greatest That's commandment okay. the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yes. To be healthy. Right. And if he can't even acknowledge and observe that greatest commandment, I don't want to hear anything else he's got to say. That's pretty judgmental of you. It's very judgmental of me. Because he's, that's not going to define his life. It does define his life. No. Oh, my gosh, no. He's so much more than what he eats. Is he? Uh, definitely. Because he's telling me what he believes about God when he doesn't take care of his body. I didn't you are take your care own of billboard. my body. Yeah, but where were you at with God? Them. In the spiritual presence of God. Well, I'm not saying you weren't in the spiritual presence of God, but where were you at spiritually as far as maturity? In Teshuvah? Not there. Right. I was in the thought process of Teshuvah. Which is But it didn't take good. away my ministry and the gifts that God had given me. No, but how much more could you have been doing? So when I see this guy that's I leading this have church, done anymore because I've literally it was who I was, Linda, in my I've story, literally of the story of my life, and, I, I could and I'm not, not taking away anymore. the story of your life. I've literally saw a pastor say, "Well, my body's a temple of God, and God's a big God, and He needs a big temple." <laughs> and I'm like, "Dude, you're, you're you're totally blaspheming the Scripture." When God tells you your body's a temple, when God wants you to be healthy and you're going to be the pastor of a church and you're way overweight celebrating your obesity, when there's plenty of scripture about, you know what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was? I will let you speak. Ezekiel? It's an Ezekiel. I think it's either 949 or 649. My list dexia kicks in. Um. It says the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was pride, gluttony, and um, pride, gluttony, and not taking care of the poor. Something along those lines. I can't remember exactly. Gluttony. They were overfed. And when these pastors get up there and celebrate their obesity, to me, you're, you're throwing everything the scripture has to say out the window. 
When you need, now you could be an obese pastor and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to begin to shuva and I'm going to start losing my weight. I'm going to start getting healthy and I'm going to be an example to the people of this church of what it truly means to follow God. That's a pastor I'll follow, but one that's just celebrates his gluttony. No, not doing Okay, but Rabbi Cook says that the thought of teshuva is teshuva. So you can't say that the obese pastor has never thought of, well, maybe I'll be healthy one day. Maybe I'll go on a diet. Maybe I'll take care of me. That is a thought. And the thought that ran through his mind to take care of himself, whether he does it at that point or not, right. is Teshuva. And he is living in Teshuva. I will agree with you mm-hmm. that he is and that the thought is. Mm-hmm. Thoughts should lead to action. And now, they when will. Now, right. And when they do, that's mm-hmm. going to tell me, okay, now he's starting to actually believe and put into action the so words of God. So you're not going to allow him to go through the process no, he can go through point. it. I'm talking. I'm not talking about what he's going through. I'm talking about me following him. So as far as me, if I'm going to sit under his teaching, Scott I want to know that he's going. He's actually doing this stuff. I love it. You did that, Scott Brable. <laughs> <laughs> there went some memories. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's back up here. I'm taking my shoes off. I've had mine off. Um, it's my hippie style. Here we go. At the beginning of this conversation, <laughs> you wanted the Christians uh, to be open in their life and raw and accepting. And I'm being raw. I'm being raw and open about what I think they should be doing. But not accepting. Not following. Is acceptance. You're, um, you're going to judge him on his weight. His weight has nothing to do with the calling of his life. Eventually, if he begins to realize, you know what, I'm unhealthy and I, and I need to take care of myself because I can't play with my grandchildren. I can't play with my children. I can't, I can't take a mission. walk. Right. I can't go on a mission trip. This is hindering my life. It's a barrier, right. Rabbi Cook says, right. in my life. Right. I need to remove that so that I will be connected spiritually with the creator. You're saying everything I believe. Okay. Everything Except I believe. that if he has a message for me to hear, if he has called, been called to minister to the people in his congregation or in his community, I'm going to listen to that. No, you're not going to listen to every pastor that's been called. No, I'm going to hear. I'm I going mean, to but hear. Yeah, but you're not, just because they've been called. And, and I'm not going to discredit him because he's obese. Oh, I will. I know. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. And look, but, so you've okay. known me, you've seen me twice. You've seen me when I was about this size, and you've seen me when I'm at this size right now. There was a point where I was much heavier. And I can show you pictures, and you'll be like, oh, thank you. There was a point that was much heavier. Um, well, I have gotten healthy, and it is a thing that I, I work on. And I, I, it just infuriates me when people say, well, it's easy for you. What's easy for me? Right. Not drinking sodas all day long? Mm-hmm. What's easy for me? Not eating donuts every time they're put in front of my face? No. I mean, I have the same struggles. I mean, I've gotten here. And granted, part of my weight loss uh, program, you don't want. It was a divorce diet. 
with yeah. a lot of alcohol. Uh, I would not advise it. <laughs> right. Uh, but once I began to get healthy out of that. All right. See, so there. There's another one. I would not have followed me in the depths of my drinking. Well, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You just, you just agreed with me about the obese pastor. No, I didn't. Would you I'm follow him in the depths of his drinking? If he was, if he was openly drinking and open alcoholic. Oh my word! Oh my word! Just because he's an obese pastor does not mean I'm going to go out and be obese. No, so I'm not saying what you you're going to do. the depths of drinking. Okay, we're, we're misunderstanding. I'm not saying I'm going to go through the. If I was a drinking. pastor, if I was a pastor and a known alcoholic as a pastor. Would you attend that church? Yes. Uh, if if his ministry was things that I needed to hear, I can empathize with him. I can I can give him compassion for his sins. My sin is no different than that. And you're not going to listen to me because I have some forbidden sin in your mind that's not going to be accepted. I don't think the average I would not advise somebody, look, if somebody's a known alcoholic and you're, you're sitting under their teaching, look, they need to get their life together before they start teaching. And, and not all together. But you can't be you're not going to be perfect. Teach. No, you're not going to be perfect. That's not a word, anyways. You're no, not going to be love perfect. That. <laughs> perfect never existed in the Hebrew. You're not going to be perfect. But you, as a, as a pastor, as a spiritual person, you do need to be able to have that bullshit free attitude right Right. and uh, i am going through this and i am working on this but if i am unwilling to face my alcoholism and i still want to get up here and teach i don't need to be teaching i don't need to be leading people this is something i need to get a hold of i'm not saying i gotta quit drinking completely but i do say i need to address the issues to why i'm constantly needing to be in the state of an alcoholic i need to address that same thing with the obese pastor i'm not talking about a heavy pastor i'm talking about an obese pastor okay um i'm not talking about somebody who i mean you don't you you don't gotta look like adonis to be a pastor i don't i don't think that either uh, and I understand that age plays into it and I understand all, all, all those factors that play into weight but somebody who just willfully continues that that life I'm like dude if you're gonna uh, address it you need to address it you need to address it one rabbi cook says that it's first step you've got to address it if you're called to address it if you have been condemned to address it then that is an issue that you need to address if you have not been conflicted with it or you don't believe and feel it's a barrier between you and Christ, then it's not something for you to deal with. It's not something for you to face. It's the greatest commandment to be healthy. Okay. Well, it's part of the greatest commandment. It's part of the greatest commandment. Um, let me get back to what I was <laughs> Because believe it or not, it was a very positive impact on my life. Uh, it was this me too. Was I mean the physical health part? No, me too. That, that's yeah. why I've it, it, I, I pay more attention to my physical health now because yes, me too. Of what he says in yes, this book, me too. And I think it's been about a month. And well, I mean, talking about obesity, I, in the medical books, I'm considered obese, and I just lost 18 pounds in the last month 
from reading this book because Mm -hmm. I understood this is really a barrier for me. I am constantly worried about my weight. I'm constantly looking in the mirror, wondering what happened to my 18-year-old body. I'm constantly, you know, what am I going to wear today? This doesn't look good on me. It was a barrier for me to be able to step closer to my spiritual relationship with God. And when I, my eyes were open to that, I was like, okay, then you got to do something about this. Mm. You got to yeah. do something about this. And through this book, I knew that it couldn't be a diet. I knew that it couldn't be a get quick, get fix quick thing. I knew it had to be a lifestyle. And it's spiritual. And it is very spiritual. So I found intermittent fasting. I love that. It has been amazing. Um, I chose to do the 16-8, which is where you fast for 16 hours at least and eat during the eight hours of the day at maximum. And by eat during the eight hours, it's not throwing down. Right. It's eating healthy. Um, And and you can eat dessert. Oh, yeah. I've had my chocolate. I'm not going to give up my chocolate. Right. It's good for the heart. It's good for lots of stuff. (laughs) Um, It's just good. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to give up my chocolate. I'm not going to give up pizza. Right. You know, it's not giving up um, foods. It's just choosing healthier foods, just choosing cleaner foods. Um, it's here's the best part for me. <laughs> still have a thought going. <laughs> the best part for me is the fasting. I was able to connect to the fasting because of my faith. I don't know that intermittent fasting is a faithful diet, but to me, I was able to interpret the fasting as true fasting as a spiritual thing as a spiritual thing where i replace my hunger for gratitude and i replace my stomach pains for being healthy being healthy for being blessed for having my rainbow child who fills my life with joy i replace any of those negative hunger cramps temptations of eating three candy bars and not just one, you know, is replaced. And it's so much easier to walk through that and live that than it is to say, well, I'm just going to go on a diet and I'm going to lose 20 pounds. So here's what I tell people when they're talking about, well, I... They're wanting to get healthy, and they're just like, I just can't. I just got to give this up, give this up. No, no, no. No. You're looking at it the wrong angle. Let's spin this around, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not giving up soda, okay? Right. I'm drinking more water. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I got a limit of how much water I want to drink a day. And then I can have a soda. But, but I, I need to get this water. Start drinking water. So instead of saying, I'm giving this up, what am I going to, what am I starting? And I'm not going to give up sweets altogether. I'm going to eat more vegetables. And then... You do that, and, and I, that's what you're saying. You're replacing it. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving it up. I'm replacing it. I'm putting something better in there for me. Before mm-hmm. too long, this becomes a lifestyle. You're not focused on what you're not supposed to do. You're focused on what you're supposed, what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. 
It's kind of like if you ever play golf. You know, you're out there on the golf course and <laughs> don't get in the water, don't hit the water, don't hit the water. You swing, and it goes in the water. You hit what you're aiming for, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if all you're focused on is what I'm giving up, yeah, you're going back to it. Oh yeah. If you're focused on what I'm replacing it with, mm-hmm. that's where you're going. You got some highlighted. I do, um, because it's gonna take it a little bit deeper. Um, I have this statement here: physical ailment, lethargy, and being overweight are all signs that the body is in need of repair. Sometimes the remedy is medicine, Mm -hmm. sometimes a proper diet, sometimes rest and relaxation are the cure. So I love how he throws all this out there, but then encompasses everything at the same time. Yes, listen to your body. Ailments are going to tell you that something needs to be repaired. Right. Um, So in Teshuva, listen to that hear what your body is telling you so that you can get over that barrier i love that he calls it barriers um sins wrongdoings yeah name it what you want he refers to barriers he refers it to as barriers um so that you can get over that barrier and cross into a more intimate relationship with god every one is going to hear something different Mm mm-hmm they're not going to hear, their body is not going to say the same thing as my body did. Mm-hmm. My body is not going to say the same thing as your body did. But listen to what your body, your physical being is telling you, and then act on that. So that brought up something that I, I've thought about as far as anxieties. Yes. <clears throat> he talks about anxieties and depression and darkness. Right, and oftentimes what we do in our society is we try to medicate it. We try to avoid it. What if instead of that, I sat back and said, "Why? What's this anxiety oh, yeah. wanting to tell me?" Definitely. Where is it? What's the root cause of it? Yeah. What am I to learn here? Mm-hmm. There, there's something mystical about just stopping and being silent. Yeah. And like you said, embracing that anxiety for a little bit. It's okay. What's really going on here? Mm-hmm. Instead of popping the pill. Right. Now, I do like what he said in that statement you read. Sometimes the medication is necessary. Yes. If the medication is going to help me, okay, let's do the medication because this anxiety is overwhelming. But let's also go a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Why? Why am I anxious mm-hmm. about going to this event Mm-hmm. with these people that I work mm-hmm. with because I know that guy's going to get on my nerves and mm-hmm. I don't want to go there. Okay, let's let's, let's Why focus. did I almost have a panic attack coming in here seeing a microphone in my face? Right. right. Yeah. But you knew what I could do. I knew what I could do. I'm like, no, no, no. We, we'll, we'll get through this. We did. I think I'm doing pretty good. You were doing amazing. I wish I'd set up a video camera and then I'm just like, oh, shit, I really freaked out if I'd put up a video <laughs> camera. <laughs> shit, really, excuse me. Okay. This was beautiful. Now what? Um, no, what were we saying? I was talking about people embracing that anxiety. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, so, and learning from it. Right. And so I call that an emotional upheaval. Okay. And again, our society does not allow us to embrace our emotional upheaval. Um, but we, we have to in order to cross into health 
um, that other uh, intimate part of the relationship of the Holy Spirit and God, the Creator, the Trinity. Um, you have to be able to embrace that. Um, I, I didn't well, think I was going to be. I didn't think I was going to talk about this, but it just is. It's, it's in my head like a recorder, and so I have to talk about this. Let it out. In 19, uh, 2014, in 2014, I physically became a frozen stone. I could not pull my seatbelt over my shoulder to buckle it because I hurt, physically hurt so bad. Hmm. I would get in a shower and rinse off because the pressure of the water would hurt, burn my skin physically. I was diagnosed at that time with fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. I spent days on the couch, mentally trying to give myself enough energy to walk from the couch to the dining room, sit down. Mentally trying to give myself enough energy to be able to walk from the dining room to the kitchen. I hurt my whole entire body hurt then you have all these medical doctors well you know it's really not a disease it's all in your head this is just a figment of your imagination we don't know what fibromyalgia is it's just anxiety it's just nerves so i go but it's very painful it is excruciating it is excruciating during that time i didn't move i I couldn't move. It was all I could do to walk up steps to get to places that I need to get to. And then working, I, I work in a school building now, seven hours a day, but I would spend every ounce of energy I had to be happy for those kids, to teach those kids, to be there for my job, and then go home and was spent, done. Yeah. I believe that I'm supposed to talk about this because Teshuva was working in my life during all of that. Yes. I just, um, last fall, I found a healing care group, and they they deal with that root cause of the anxiety. Mm. It is painful. It is 16, 18 weeks of a mirror inside your being. No hiding it. It's let's talk about all emotional upheavals. And before I took this group, I talked to the spiritual director and she said, I told her my issue with fibromyalgia and, and, and okay, so wait, I have to stop. One of the reasons I'm hesitant to talk about this is because I know that it is very real. And I know that there is a community out there who has fibromyalgia and they cannot move. There is little help for them. I understand that. I am not discrediting that at all. Right. But my spiritual director, before I even took the course, was, well, you know, fibromyalgia is just frozen fear. I I'm wanted to so. I wanted to step up, turn around, walk out. I was like, how dare you try to tell me that my physical pain Uh is just a frozen fear? 
it was like telling me that the doctor's telling me, you know, it's all in your head. It's just a figment of your imagination. When I'm sitting there, it's physically debilitating to move. Right. So I listened to the higher calling and I was like, you're supposed to, you're supposed to take this class, go for it, do it. Mm -hmm. So I did. And lo and behold, facing my fear of life. Yes. Everything. Every fear I had accepted and perceived in my mind. Facing that released me of fibromyalgia. It's the Medusa. You know, that Greek goddess Mm -hmm. with the head of snakes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And snakes mean fear. Mm -hmm. They've always meant fear. Mm. And she's a paralyzing fear. She turns you to a stone. Oh, yeah. When you, when you see her, when you look at that fear, it turns you into stone. I often tell people that there's that paralyzing fear that you're talking about, that Medusa fear. But there's that fear that saves you. You know, there's a car yeah. coming towards you, and you oh, yeah. get out of the way. And it's being able to go into that darkness and battle our dragons. Mm-hmm. That's how we save our damsels in distress, if you will. Mm-hmm. If you take the the children's book metaphors, why are people afraid to do that? They're afraid of it's what they'll find. Painful, right? And you are afraid of what you'll find, but right. it is dark pain. It is. And he, Rabbi Cook, talks about that. He, he talks does. about facing your fears, facing that dark dark midnight pitch black pain that's in you that is in you yeah in everyone i often wonder when i get upset at somebody is it because i'm seeing something in them that i don't like about me right more than likely it is more than likely it is yeah more than likely when that person i'm seeing something in them that i don't like about me it's kind of like uh i knew this guy who was a pastor one time. He was constantly talking about sexual sin. And one day I looked at my wife. I said, do you think he's got a problem with this? She said, yeah. Yeah. I think he does. Um, But, and that's why you talk to people like, I started yoga and I haven't practiced in a while, but in in meditation, right? And I've practiced meditation for years. (coughs) Excuse me. And I talk to people who, well, I can't do that. Well, I understand why you can't do it because it's painful. Yeah. When you just sit in that silence and you and and the idea mm-hmm. of meditation or yoga is you clear your mind. No, mm-hmm. you're not clearing your mind. Mm-mm. You're letting your mind clear itself and in and in clearing itself, decluttering, it's loud. Oh yeah. It is so loud in that silence. Oh yeah. Your head is going so many places. Uh, you, you have the TV off, you have something, whether it's some type of meditative music or a brook, you're standing by a stream or something like that. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Just like you say, because I'm afraid of what I'm going to find. Mm-hmm. And then we don't know what to do with what we find either. No, how do you fight a dragon? Yeah. I was thinking about that with David and Goliath. Yeah. David 
just taking lunch to his brothers, right? Yeah. Uh, he's just taking lunch to his brothers. <laughs> and he gets there, and here's this giant. Yeah, let me kill him. Right. But uh, somebody's like, uh, I was told somebody, said, everybody else was paralyzed in fear. Both armies were. Mm -hmm. That's why they didn't attack each other. Because uh, it, for, the, for the Philistines to attack the Israelites, they had to go down into the valley and up a hill. Well, that's, mm. that's suicide to fight uphill. Mm -hmm. For the Israelites to attack the Philistines, they had to go down in the valley and up a hill. So we're not going to do that. So they do the one-on-one -on -one combat, which is famous back then. Two armies, you send out your best, we'll send out our best, and we'll settle it that way. And so that's what they do. So Goliath, with the assistance of his armor bearer, is assisted onto the field. He's expecting to go into hand-to-hand -hand combat. And here's David is like, I, I know what to do. Nobody else knew what to do with this giant. Mm -hmm. David is, I'm not going hand-to-hand -hand combat with him. That's that's suicide. I'm taking a rifle to a, to a sword fight. <laughs> so he goes down with those, you know, his stones, and he slays his giant. And... So I was talking to someone about this. I said, yeah, we all have giants. Yeah. But you don't have to face your giant the way your giant is wanting to face you. Oh, no way. Right. You, you can't win no. against a dragon. You know, you, there's got to be another way. Right. And But, yeah, you got to face Embrace those fears. It. Embrace them. Face them. And Walk through it. you will, you, more than likely, <laughs> you're going to get beat up. Oh, you will get beat up. Yeah, I mean, black and blue beat up. Jacob walked away as Israel, but with a limp. Yeah. yeah. Right? He wrestled with God. It was like I told you the other God. day. Maybe you needed your ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as God was kicking my ass. Yeah. <laughs> you so. said that to me, and I thought, well, maybe you need an ass kicking. I don't know. <laughs> and I agree. And you're like, yeah. oh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> maybe I did. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, wait, I got to go on with this thought. So the fear, the release of fear in my life also released me of my fibromyalgia. And sure enough, she was right for me, for my story. And so then that happened about November. It is now May. It has taken me mentally to understand and accept that I don't have fibromyalgia all this time. First, I was like, okay, I know food triggers this. I'm going to eat all this food that makes my body ache, and I'm going to test it. I'm going to say, are you really, really cured? Are you really released? Yeah. Nothing happened. Right. I'm like, okay, that's kind of different. That's kind of strange. But then I'm like, okay, I, I, this is for real. Well, then I'm like, let's start moving because I haven't moved and since 2014, because it's been too painful. Right. So now I'm like, hey, let's let's just start moving. See what happens. I bet it's going to trigger something. So I'd, like, run up the steps in the school building or, you know, do little step takes on the, on the curb or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to move tomorrow. I, I know this is going to hurt. And then nothing would happen. I'm like, okay. All right, I'm like really, really released from this. I, I am cured of my fibromyalgia. So now that I've been able to accept that, what, six, seven months later, right? you know, I'm picking up the art of teshuva and I'm finding that my physical health 
health is so important to my next step with that intimate relationship with my creator, my God, the desire that I long to have in everything that I do. I want to be closer to my creator. And so now I am able, I am in a physical, mental, healthy state of right. teshuva that allows me to do that. And, and instead of saying, I, I would say yes and. Okay, yes and. Yes, closer to your creator and your true divine essence. Yes. Yes, my who, soul. Correct. Your, yes. your true divine soul and essence of who you really are. I agree. Yeah. We can agree. <laughs> okay, wait. Now, there's the second part. There's three parts in here I told you I want to talk about before we get into the blessing fence. Are we on a time schedule? No, I was just checking it. Okay. <laughs> I was just checking. I don't know if you're on a time schedule. No, I'm fine. Well, I am kind of on a time <laughs> schedule. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. I got uh, I got another date. Whoa. Yeah. Good for you. Whoops. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be terrible to tell her I was late because I was with a married woman. <laughs> <laughs> she knows I'm doing the podcast. Okay. Uh, we're going to see... Uh, no. What? Aladdin? No. Oh, okay. No. I no, I don't take Aladdin. dates to the movies, especially new dates. Oh, okay. I got rules. Okay. <laughs> and that's a rule. Okay. I don't take... Unless it's like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, because that's really a sing-along. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But that counts. The uh, <clears throat> we're going to this place called Yellow Deli in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. It's ran by a cult, so <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> but evidently they got great sandwiches. Okay. <laughs> and I like a sandwich, <laughs> so we're gonna go down there and do that. And then we're going to a fire cabaret. So it's these cabaret dancers oh, yeah. with flames, and they're spitting fire, and they're eating fire, and they're suspended from the ceiling, and they're doing all this yeah. stuff. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so. So the next part. That little I, side note there. Yeah. Um, this is the most focused I've ever seen you. Really? <laughs> the most focused conversation well, I think we've ever had. lost coming over here. Yeah, you could probably say that. Um, didn't get lost. I went to the totally wrong city. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so the other part of this book that has been life altering for me is the the outside perspective of Western Christianity. Yeah. Sometimes when we're ra raised in Western Christianity or organized religion, we have this spiritual drawing that something's just not right. Yes. But there's no one around you in that setting that can confirm that or that can say, well, yeah, we could look at it this way. Right. There's no one to tell you that, but your soul well, you're told your the opposite. mind is telling you there is something else to this. Yes. There's something else. Yes. And I'm missing it. Yes. And Rabbi Cook. And there's this drawing this longing to find it, but you're yeah, missing it. Yeah. Yes. Because of your surrounding, unfortunately. Unfortunately. That holds you to 
that perspective and only that perspective. So before you dive into what Rabbi Cook said, yeah. one of the things that I love about Judaism yeah. is they have this tradition of Midrash. And Midrash is this writing from rabbis and mystics and teachers over the years where they allow the argument. They, they yes. take a passage of scripture yes. and he writes this and he writes that. And they debate it. They debate it. They, they welcome the debate. Argue over they it. They argue they it. They scream. I've seen footage of this and right. they literally are screaming blood face red right. at each other over their beliefs. Right. Uh, yeah. But they we love each other. We don't do that. Oh, yeah. And oh, it's yeah. not, and it's not, I'm never going to talk to you again. Type. Well, I'm sure that's happened. But... For the most part, the tradition is we welcome the question. Yeah. We welcome the we, wrestling match. Right. We welcome it because it's in the question that you find a better question. You're not looking for the answer. I'm looking for a better question. It's like when they started studying the atom. perspective. Yeah, when they started studying the atom, they, oh, we can actually open this. Wait, there's, we thought this was the smallest thing in existence. Mm -hmm. So, they, wait, there's this inside an atom? Yeah. So you start looking at that, and wait, we can open that up, and oh wait, there's this inside yeah, of that, and yeah, yeah. there's like 150 subatomic levels within an atom yeah. that we found so far, and 98% of an atom is empty space. Simpson, 98% of an atom is empty. All things are spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Universal. Yeah, and I just so that's what I love about. Rabbi Cook's tradition of Judaism versus my Southern Baptist, and I don't want to just lump Southern Baptist no. alone in there, Western Christian yeah. tradition of, no, this is the answer. This is the right. doctrine. Mm -hmm. This is the doctrine. There is no other way. Right. This is our doctrine. Wrong. Uh, where they're like, yeah, but what if? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and they welcome exactly. the what if. Exactly. Okay. So what I have on... Um, underlined here is the well, I'll just read it um, he starts off this understanding is in dramatic contrast to Christianity's doctrine of original sin mm. from a Christian point of view Western Christianity organized religion man by definition is a sinner yep that's what I grew up with right you that's, wretched I'm, worm Dirty, nasty sinner. He goes on. He says, He is damned from birth, born into purgatory, and can only be saved in the life to come. This teaching dooms mankind from the start and lays the foundation for the moral dec decadence and corruption rampant throughout the Christian world. Just as a gloom and darkness fills Christianity, famous cathedrals in Notre Dame, the doctrine of original sin has hung a suffocating cloud of guilt and repression over human existence. I have lived most of my life feeling like that. Yeah, and that is, see, it, it, I, I, if I had my pen, I'd write, so good. Yeah, so, <laughs> so good. good. What he just said I here. have a little heart beside it. Yeah. I mean, I, it. Was, and it's freeing and liberating. To know that I'm not the only one that feels that way? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So then you're like, okay, what do I do with this? I know that Rabbi Cook There's knows. a doctrine of original sin. Yeah. There, yeah. I it's, mean, it's, it's in systematic theology. I took the class. Yeah. I passed it. 
<laughs> good, good for you. I, I've taught the doctrine of original yes. sin. Yes. I don't. I don't buy it anymore. It's so And you're welcome, podcast listeners, to question me on that. I'm welcome to come and discuss that with you. This man's right. Because he says the next thing. In contrast, Judaism teaches that original sin is not original. Teshuva came first. Before sin appeared in the world, a remedy had already been prepared This means that a man is born not into a prison of sin, but into a condition of teshuva, into a world of hope, of improvement and progress. Man is not doomed to despair. Should he fall? And we will. Yes. We will not just fall. We will fail. We will, like, have to be picked up off our butts. Yes. Teshuva is there to raise him and to restore his connection to God. Now... If everybody could hear that right, and be raised with that paragraph. Yeah, just the thoughts just of that paragraph. that paragraph. Can you imagine the disappearance of anxieties, the disappearance of depressions, the, it, just this paragraph alone. You could base your whole ministry. On that paragraph. Right. Because it's so beautiful. God, this is my God. Yes. This is the yes. thought of something is missing. Yes. Something is not right. What is it? And then you find out it's, this it's been there all along. All along. I just never knew it. You knew it. You just didn't know what it was. Yes. The question of something is missing. You know indicates what I, that. You know what this goes into it. for me? She. <laughs> she was there all along. She, yes. It's it's like a mother. You're going to fall. And she's going to be there. Yes. Right? Yes. She loved you all along. Yes. She, she knew you'd probably turn out to be a little shit at times. <laughs> but she loved you all along. Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean, so when I think of that Shekinah, I think of that because he says Teshuvah, and we've discussed this back and forth on email, is that the Holy Spirit? We both agree that we think it is. Mm -hmm. We think it is. Yeah. And in Genesis, it says, and the Spirit Mm -hmm. hovered in that, Mm -hmm. over that formless and that void, that Simson, the Spirit hovered there. Mm -hmm. That is the Spirit that was referred to as that Shekinah. It's been woven throughout the fabric mm-hmm. of creation. Yeah. And, and forever. And was there before our sin and we were born in that. Yes. Not in our sin. Right. We were born in that. Yes. So yes, I agree Beauty. with you. Beautiful, Beautiful the way he says it. What do you got next? Okay, my third point. And this will roll into the blessing fence, I believe. Um this is a little, it's at the very end it's in the chapter of Lights of Teshuva, which is really fascinating for him to just read like little different quotes of what he has. But anyway, the last one he says is the mask of evil. Mm. I'm like, let's see what this is about. Um, I can't, I don't know how to pronounce this word in, but anyway, 
there are elite people. Uh, the I don't know. Tadakim. Yeah. Okay. Who perceive the world, the whole world, in a positive light. They see good in everything. In the clarity of their vision, they see how evil itself plays a positive role. I can't explain that. Mm. But I know it's true. And it is so hard to understand that because you have to think, well, murderers can't be part of the positive world. Child molesters can't be part of the positive world. The evil in this world can't be part of the positive of our lives. But Hear me out, because I have just a tiny comparison, not a drastic comparison, like the evils of the world. But there's varying degrees of evil. Yes. And so, about, it was before I had Olivia. It was probably, let's see, we moved into our house in 2004, and we had lived there a few out few um it's got your clock on my mind a few years and I had put a a flower bed in the front yard we didn't have a fence and I I put this flower bed in the front yard and I I had some gladiolas that had come up that hadn't bloomed Uh and I waited every day like forever it was the longest time waiting for this flower yes to just bloom I just want you to bloom other flowers had bloomed I was just waiting for the gladiolas to bloom and I saw one morning that they were they were going to bloom when I got home from work today I was going to have a garden of gorgeous flowers so I go to work I'm thinking about it all day long. I'm like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to see my flowers. I'm going to see my beautiful flowers. I can't wait to go see my flowers. So I get home. I go to get the mail, and I go out to check my flowers. Someone had come in my yard and with scissors cut not only all my gladiolas, but all the other flowers that I had also. Oh. They were gone. That's heartbreaking. Oh, it was, it was tearful. Yes. It was tearful. Yes. It was breathtaking. Like, ah! <laughs> I could see you now. <laughs> I could just cry. I'm oh. like, who did this? And Why you probably you could have strangled somebody if you just no. saw somebody walking down the road. <laughs> no, no, no. I can disagree with you on that. You, um, I said to myself, yes, someone needed a beautiful bouquet of flowers today. Yes. And they got it. And that's a beautiful place to be spiritually. Yes, it is. Except that. I went straight to my husband and I said, we're going to get a wrought iron fence and we will put it in front of our yard. Right. Without that incident, 
I would not have a fence in my yard. Uh-huh. Years later. It's a beautiful fence, by the way. Yeah, it is. It's perfect. It is. For what? It's almost storybook. I mean. yeah. 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 Years later, 2014, actually, same year I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Um, and part of that pain in fibromyalgia was requesting a gift. Please give me something that I can contribute to the world with. Mm-hmm. I have to sit here at that time and just watch the world go by. Do my small little contributions, come home and veg. So please give me something that I can contribute to the world. And I was given the blessing fence. So for people listening, what is the blessing fence? So the blessing fence is anonymous giving for anonymous receiving. Okay. It is where people in the community contribute, donate, give um, winter items. And they hang it on my fence in my front yard for people in need. Anybody. They could be homeless. They could be a homeless, mother who can't afford a new coat. Can't afford it. A, a family who's laid off temporarily, like has a house, has things they need, but they need a coat. Or and they a don't have a go or a blanket. They don't have a job right now. It is for people in need. Anyone. And I'm not the judge of that need. There's no administrator. There's no administrator. There's no paperwork. There's no record of who takes and who gives. So I drive by. You drive I, by. I just hang up a hang coat up. on your fence. Yeah. Uh, maybe a bag with some hats and gloves right. in it. And, and I and I drive off. Well, I do request that you say a blessing over your items because you are giving back to the universal right. world. And you want that to be a positive act. And the act of giving is teshuva. Is teshuva, but it is also so so powerful for your own life, for the giver's life. I tell people this all the time that when someone offers to give you something, and maybe you don't need it. And maybe they can't give it. Go ahead and politely decline. But if they're insistent, don't take that blessing from them. Right. Let them give it to you. Yes, it's their blessing. That's Yeah, they in one sense feel that they're blessed. But no, that's a blessing for them mm-hmm. to give you that. You may not need it. Right. They may not can afford to give it. But if they're insistent upon this... Mm-hmm. Allow them to give. Allow them to give to you. Yeah. And it's hard for us. It is. It's hard for us to allow people it's to give us stuff. It's hard for us to take. It is. It's hard for us to receive. So do people do like we like horrible things, like ratted out coats or? No. That was my question. No. For the, no. Like I can't, the only thing that I have received, um, because some people don't take the time to hang the items on the fence, they'll leave boxes and bags and stuff on my front porch and um so the only thing that I can think of that I've not placed on the fence were were items that are not winter items right it's seasonally specific I don't know why this is like God's gift it's his ministry it's what what he does with it is how it runs but and so right now it's a seasonal winter seasonal fence um, 
So if I have gotten summer gear or, or short sleeves or shirts that aren't necessarily winter gear, I do just take that over to Goodwill. But um, but people are people are on board with this. So how did they get they out? Understand. I mean, did you just start putting stuff out there? I mean, how did you? Okay, so this is the story. I'm at my computer and I'm just like scanning Facebook or whatever, and I get this pop up that says uh, talks about uh, larger cities who put hang scarves around their park trees for their homeless people. And this voice tells me just as clear as day, hang scarves on your fence. Wow. And I'm like, okay, I have, I have a drawer full of scarves. I have a drawer full of stuff I, upstairs, you know, just tucked away. I can, I can do that. Now, I'm, I'm a businesswoman, and so I have to think logically, like, do I have, do I have the clientele for this? Do I right, have right, the, right. the means for this? Is there a demand for it? You know, am I going to be able to meet the demand? I'm like, I'm going through all this checklist of business. And before I go through the checklist, though, I had already said, okay, I'll do this. Yeah. So I go upstairs to this drawer that I thought I had all these in. I open it and it's empty. I was like, what? wait, where are all these scarves? What had I had remembered that I had already cleared it out and I had already taken it to Goodwill and I didn't have any extra scarves. I didn't have any extra gloves. I didn't have any extra anything that I was supposed to hang on this fence and I have already told the divine that I'm going to do this. So I'm kind of like, okay, let's, let's just test this. Let, I'm going to go on my own personal Facebook page and see if there's anybody in my little grouping of friends that would be on board with me on this. Yeah. You know? So I just put it out there. Hey, send me some of your winter items. I'm going to see if there's a need for it in our community. So people yeah. fulfilled my promise of saying, yeah, I'll do this. <sighs> and started hanging winter items on the fence. And they were disappearing. As soon as something would be on there, it would be taken away. Wow. And I'm like, okay. This works. This works. There's a need here. And then I started looking at my community, my neighborhood, my environment, and I realized the uh, work relief, work release yeah. uh, building is just across the railroad tracks for me. Do you mind if I pause this real quick? Go ahead. live actually it's got all kinds of great things going on with it so the side the perspective of my side of the street sounds a little gloomy but it's it's my perspective it's not the whole city's perspective right but the, the beauty of what you were just saying and i forgot to take it off pause so i missed a lot of that so i'm going to recap it for okay. you when you started following this promise and 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 the beauty I loved about it is you, at first you said this was my promise to God or to, uh, that I was going to do this. I was going to hang scarves on my fence, but I didn't have any scarves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd already gotten rid of stuff. So I put it out to my community, and they fulfilled my promise. No, you invited others to join that's you in this, in this beauty, right? No, that's um, and I know that's a semantic thing, but that's what I'm, I, I'm wanting people to hear this. You you're not alone. No. If you feel God's leading you 
to do something, invite others to join you. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's a good indication that maybe God is leading, exactly. is is moving yeah, here. Exactly. Um, and then you so you put it out there and stuff starts going. Yeah. And then you started becoming aware. Mm-hmm. It's like your eyes opened up, your ears mm-hmm. began to hear, mm-hmm. you began to see that, wait, they're walking to the grocery store not because it's a nice day right (laughs) maybe they don't have a car right and you're seeing these needs that are right there in and around where you're at and how many times in our life do i get in my car drive the same route go to work do the same job come home and i live in my bubble Mm -hmm. where if maybe i could just do what you did it's okay wait a minute let's look around Mm -hmm. There's people hurting, and I can help, and it doesn't take a lot. No. It doesn't take a lot. No. So that's the beauty. Okay. So you start doing this. Yeah, Mm. and my friends, my community, my circle of friends start supporting it. And word of mouth, it gets bigger and bigger, and the newspaper comes to me and does an article, and then the news center comes to me and does a segment. And so the next season... I thought, well, it's getting a little out of hand. It's too much for me to like keep track of. I'm going to start putting. I'm going to build a Facebook page, the Blessing Foods Facebook page. So that's what I used to manage the whole thing. And once I did the Blessing Foods Facebook page, and it's a public account, um, we started getting donations from Texas, from West Virginia, from uh, Nevada, from Florida, from Tennessee, from Georgia. I mean, I started getting donations from across the country um, for our little community, and that too was. Is your fence that big? My fence is probably. Because I'm just sitting here thinking you got more stuff than you can put on your fence. Oh yeah, my foyer's full of stuff. I just hoard it, store it in my foyer, and and just as it goes, I just put more out. Yes, and it just keeps. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. That people from far away are finding you and sending you stuff. Yeah, and the community, the community, the Goshen community, heavily supports that fence. What I think, or I hope, not only are they supporting your fence, they're building their own. I hope so too. That their is, own blessing. That fence. is part of. The blessing fence. I do encourage others, and I did have a woman that was um, on the other side of town that held a blessing fence for a while. I work with her now, um, and she was led not to do that, which is fine. It's seasons, you know, comes and goes. Yes, needs are there. Needs are. You spoke of seasons of life. Yeah. Yes. And um, so that's fine. So beautiful. And then um, there was a giving tree. That has been up. I don't know that I had any contribution to that, but they have contacted me, and we support each other. Um, the Giving Tree and Elkhart, um, and they are all year round. They mm-hmm. do every any kind of item. Um, so back to um, Good Morning America. Oh yeah, we're going yeah. this way. So this the society that we live in is the digital society, technology, yes. and what <clears throat> happened was um, feel-good segments of, of companies, of digital companies, 
their job is to find happy situations to report on. Yes. Happy messages to report on. So because the Blessing Fence is an open page, a public page, there were several feel-good departments that found me, us, them. Um, And they freely developed their own videos, their own take. I saw that, I believe. Yeah, and so I had maybe like three uh, feel-good websites that featured the Blessing Fence in their website. Right. So be it. That's fine. You know, I'm not. More people know about it. More people know about it. It's fine. Well, in all of that, or through all of that, um, Good Good Morning America has a feel-good segment. Yeah. And they found it. And they sent me a real quick email saying, hey, we want to feature you on Good Morning America for your blessing fence. I said, Sure. And then, lo and behold, there I am on Good Morning America. But you, did they fly you into town? Oh, no, no, no. They, oh. took, they just took their own segment off of the page, developed their own their own little interview of them. Never even talked to me other than, do I have your permission? Oh. Right. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So um, they just took off of the page pictures and state statements and things like that. So, yeah. But now... It has grown from scarves and hats and gloves to work boots, um, wool socks, um, fleece blankets. Um, yeah, it has grown the community. I, I couldn't have ever imagined this. If I was in tra- charge of it, I would have just left it with scarves, hats, and gloves. Yeah. But the community has decided... <clears throat> well, wait a minute, you know, what are they going to put on their feet? How, how are Ooh. they going to walk in this snow, in these below zero temperatures to get their groceries? And they've started, you know, hanging the wool socks and hanging the work boots. And, and um, one of my very favorite stories, because it shows the universal connection of this ministry. I had a young gentleman come to the fence, and he had brought his new, newlywed wife, and he was wanting to show her his old neighborhood. So he was taking her around the neighborhood, and he finds the fence, and he stops, and we're talking to him, and um, telling him, "Well, this is what we we just give back to the needy of our community." And he's like, "Wow, I wish." You had something like this when I lived here. He's like, this is really cool. He's so we're going to go and we'll come back. So they left and went out to Walmart and picked up those fleece throw blankets. Yes. They're like five bucks. Five bucks. Yes. They picked up and no one had no one had donated fleece blankets before. Right. Or blankets. Mm -hmm. This was the first time. He comes back, or they come back, and they're like, we, we want to give these fleece blankets. We want to put these on the fence. I'm like, perfect. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. So they line it up, stick these blankets on the posts, you know. Yeah. And, and leave. You know, they say they're blessing. They're happy to contribute to his old neighborhood and all that, and they leave. Not five minutes later, a mom 
with three kids in the car, stuffed in between everything they own, drives up, sees those fleece blankets, and says, I need, I need these for my children. We're living in my car right now. I need these blankets for my children. Beautiful. So beautiful. I didn't have anything to do with that. That was the Holy Spirit talking to that young couple, telling them, this mom's going to drive by. You've got to get back there. You just provided the vessel. I just provide the vessel. That's all I do. No. So that mom took as many blankets as she wanted. That's the other thing I like about it. I'm not limiting you. Oh, no. There is no limit. A a school teacher, one of my um, good co-workers, um, Christy Moberg. um, Shout out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, She has her students... Uh, do the blessing fence as a project every year and it is amazing the first year that she did it I thought oh it's you know it's unanimous giving for unanimous receiving I don't know that I want to you know anonymous yeah anonymous (laughs) I'm sorry yeah um anonymous and I was like I don't know if I want these kids you know feeling so proud of themselves for doing such a great thing but then I had to get over myself right like I had to like I don't yeah. know if I want these kids to feel good about doing something good right <laughs> do you, you hear know, what you just I said did. but that's kind of the ironicness of it the paradox being, yeah you yeah. know because the a big point of it is that you don't know what your right hand's doing with your left hand that kid you, had no clue that that mother's going to come up with it in the car right right but anyway, yes, it's a great thing, and it's a great project for them to do. And it is, again, universal train of thought that is in being planted in these kids' minds that it is important to give. But one of the questions that they ask me is, well, what if somebody comes and they just take everything and, and go sell it? That's okay. It's okay. I'm not the judge of that person's need. Maybe they need the money. Maybe they need the money. Maybe they need to go sell that so they can buy the milk for their child. It's not my place to judge. My place is to provide that fence, allow people to donate, allow people to take. That's it. Right. And I love that. Okay. That's okay. They can take it all. I got more in the foyer. Yeah. More more will be donated. Right. And And we've said blessings over everything. And you have to believe in that blessing. You have to believe that that blessing was given for the person who needs this item. Well, you have to believe that. So, on along that line, yeah. how does God create? Give me more information. How did God create? Oh, the spoken word. He spoke. Yes. He spoke. He spoke the blessing. He spoke. Which is it. what blessings are. It's and the word became word. flesh. Yes. And that's what you're doing. You're speaking this blessing. Yeah. And that blessing is becoming flesh. That's what the givers are doing. Right. Yeah. I want them to know that. Right. You know, I want them to know that it is just as important for the giver as it is for the receiver. Say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. So so then another question that the kids asked me is, well, how did it get started? 
And I tell them the story about the pop-up coming up, and I'm like, okay, I'll put, put, I'll put scars on my fence. But then you have to look at the deeper connection. And this was in the midst of your fibromyalgia. This yeah. was in the midst of your darkness. This was yeah. in the midst of your pain. Oh, yeah. This is the flower coming through the concrete. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It was my gift. Yeah. Yeah. So you go back to like the deeper rooted connection of why would God, why would the divine call me to put scarves on my fence? Mm. You know, like what is my connection to all this? Well, that's very easy. My childhood, I, I was raised in, in, in a Poe family. <laughs> so Poe, we couldn't afford the R. <laughs> That's how Poe we were. Well, your dad was in New Orleans Theological Seminary. No, it's not like was, no, no, no. This was before New Orleans when okay. we lived in Tennessee. When you lived in, uh, in Elizabeth in Tennessee. I was getting there. Yes. Oh, sorry. I was th- having to think it through. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, I, I, it was. There's no other way of putting it. I mean, we lived in a one, two ply farmhouse that froze every winter and we would like go down with five gallon buckets or one gallon buckets to the river to shout our water so we could have water to bathe and eat with and cook with and you know on a wood stove wrapped in one room because we couldn't heat the build at the house you know we'd hang curtains hang blankets up on all the doorways and live in the living room um, around this wood fire with our boiling water that we were going to use to eat with or our boiling water that we were going to use to bathe with, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm for real. Like, this was Pope. And, yeah. And, uh, and we lived with hand-me-downs, yeah. people that gave to us, um, people that would just leave hand-me-downs on our front porch, you know. I think I remember you talking about this. Yeah, and, you know, I, I lived with I, – I, it was a good – life we we grew our own food you know our own garden food and so we had always had good food to eat fresh raw vegetables and stuff um but we were po (laughs) and couldn't afford to no and and so i i took my life and about 12 12 years old um I decided that I wasn't going to be Poe all my life. And I started working. I started making my own money. I started making my own decisions. Um, we moved to New Orleans, and I continued to make my own decisions. I continued in schooling. I continued in um, my talents and my gifts that I knew I had and came, became very independent with that and continued to work, continued to have my own money. And then I made it through high school, I made it through college, I got my college degree, and I built a, a significant career for myself. Good for you. And had a husband, had a home, my dream home, actually, if you want, I'll just go there. Um, I, I have my needs met. What more than doing doing a blessing fence in my front yard, how else would I ever be able to repay back into the universe, back into the world, for all that help that was given to us during that time? Yeah. So it's like full circle, you know, just like uh, just just like the miscarriages. Full circle. Give back. Talk with those people. You know. Um, 
give back. And so that's, this is my give back. And then it's my, just my little contribution to the universe, you know, that giving is needed. It is. And it is just as much a blessing to the giver as it is to the receiver. It is. Mm -hmm. It is. And I like the beauty in just listening. Listening to what what the, the divine mystery is guiding you. You had no idea that putting a scarf on the fence and divorcing yourself from the outcome, what it would do. Oh, I had no clue. I had no clue. I had no clue. You I, couldn't I, have orchestrated I, that if you tried. Never. I mean, never. you're a smart businesswoman. I couldn't businesswoman. Even You it. couldn't have orchestrated that. No. And I haven't. I don't take credit for orchestrating it at all. Right. I, and, and it's just so simple. I've told people about it here. I don't have, well, I got fences, but there were cows on the other side of them. So it <laughs> would have been too conducive for me to <laughs> hang stuff there. But I'm also out in the country, right? Right. So I'm not in an urban environment like that. Right. I often think back, had I known about this when I did live in an urban environment, I would have absolutely set up a a, a fence. Mm -hmm. I would have absolutely done that. (laughs) But my house was the Kool-Aid house. Yeah. You know, the wife stayed at home. Yeah. Uh, All the kids knew that. They played in our yard. Mm -hmm. They knew where the cooler was Mm -hmm. out back and the drinks were. So in, in one sense, we were a blessing house like that right, because these exactly. kids, they just knew it. And um, But I would have absolutely uh, said, yeah, one of the things that we did at the church was uh, the church was wanting to find a ministry. Uh, Portland area, Portland, Vancouver, Washington area has a huge homeless mm-hmm. population, huge. Mm-hmm. And they were wanting to find a ministry, so we found this place called Open House. And a lot of the homeless ministries have time limits as to how long you can stay. Right. Open House doesn't. They've got rules, and they got things they want you to abide by, and they got some rules that are zero tolerance policies. Like if you are using, mm-hmm. you're out. Mm-hmm. Well, this one family, this is where I fell in love with Open House. The dad was caught using. Mm-hmm. They didn't kick them out. Mm-hmm. They brought them in. They talked to them. They worked with them. They issued grace. But what we did as a church was, uh, you, you've seen that, uh, and I, I'm going to mention the guy's name because I can't stand him. But you've seen the the guy that started <laughs> the shoebox Christmas. Mm-hmm. You seen those shoebox Christmases? I don't think so. Well, the idea is that you you get a shoebox and you fill it full of Christmas stuff and they send it to kids overseas. Okay. Right? It's a beautiful idea. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, the, what I did there was I said, hey, instead of us sending it overseas and we got this homeless ministry here, let's send it here. Oh, yeah. So I'm talking to the director, and he said, dude, we are inundated with stuff for the kids for yeah. Christmas. I said, what about the adults? Well, he sat back and said, nobody ever gives anything for the adults. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, man, if I can make mom and dad's life just a little happier on that day. Yeah. It makes the kids' life a little happier. And so yeah. the first year we did it, and people was bringing all this stuff, just junk stuff, uh, like small little toothpaste and soap and stuff like that. Well, the next year we did it. It's okay. We're going to do it again this year. But put stuff in there you want. <laughs> you know, put some nice gloves. Don't Think go buy the it. cheap. Yeah, put a nice mm-hmm. knit cap. Put some deck of cards or some candy. Mm-hmm. You know, 
put something in there besides just this junk. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So we did that. And that, that was what we did, but it was fun. Hey, I have looked forward to doing this. I'm glad you fought that dragon <laughs> and that anxiety and come through this. I'm so happy Me to too. see you. Me too. I, it was worth it. I don't know. I don't know whose face was more excited when I turned the corner. <laughs> we saw each other. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's uh, good. Well, thank you for doing this. I've got to. I, 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 I could sit and do this all day. <laughs> I could. But you've got a husband and a child to get back to. Family. I've got a sandwich waiting on me. Yeah. And fire dancers. Enjoy. I will. Hey, say bye. Bye. And Peace and mercy and grace be upon you. Blessings sent to you. Blessings.